Good afternoon, y'all. Uh, thank you for listening to our Central Division podcast created just for you, the medical staff. Uh, I know some of you are probably listening up there at LCH as well since we're broadcasting live. Uh, coming to you hosted by Dr. Saj Joy, who's sitting to my right. Uh, he's the Chief Medical Officer for Central Division and myself, Drew Herman, the Chief Medical Officer for Levine Children's Hospital and Jeff Gordon Children's Center. Um, our goal today and going forward is we hope these podcasts are a quick and fun way to get to know the leaders of the Central Division and stay informed on events and resources and services available to you, our medical staff of the Central Division. Um, and we may have a laugh or two. I got to tell you, um, Saj, before we introduce our guest, um, my middle son, Graham, over the weekend was uh, bugging me a little bit. He's 15. <laughs> and I said, Graham, how many Graham Hermans does it take to change a light bulb? And he said, I don't know. And I said, just one. You hold the light bulb and the world revolves around you, doesn't it, buddy? <laughs> so there you go. That's well, a good teenager sounds joke. like a physician to be. <laughs> That's right. Our interview today is particularly interesting, so we'll be sharing it as a two-part series. This is part one with Dr. Derek Ragavan. Dr. Ragavan, who is the head of Levine Cancer Institute, we want to thank you so much for sharing some of your time with us. So your career is long in leadership positions. What what drew you to that change from the bedside, you know, predominantly to leadership? Well, I wouldn't say I've changed from the bedside. I've, I've always seen patients and been involved in tumor boards and stuff like that. I still see patients mm -hmm. at the VA Medical Center here. Uh, it seemed to me that if I were seeing patients at LCI, I would be a distraction mm -hmm. uh, as the boss and people would be running around in circles. So at the VA, I'm another physician and I just do the best I can and, and see the vets, who I think are a population that needs to be seen. Uh, at University of Southern Cal, I actually did general medicine take uh, for several years. Uh, saw general medicine in the jail ward and uh, also did oncology. So I've, I've always uh, kept clinical practice in my role. What drew me to administration is, I think it was kind of a sneaky way not to get fired. As you know, Drew, I play in the traffic. I have a mouth that moves more quickly than my brain. So once I became a boss, I had less people to feel the need to fire me. And I also, <laughs> I also felt that I could influence things. I've, I've always felt pretty confident in my judgment. I've always had a pretty good idea of how to train people, how to set up programs. And so becoming a chief allowed me to do that. And I've been lucky in that uh, most of my bosses have let me get on with the job and not interfered too much. I keep them posted, obviously, but it lets me move things along at a brisk pace. So if one of our physicians um, walking by in the hallway saw Dr. Ragavan and said, hey, uh, what exactly do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? What would you tell them? What I'd actually say is I move paper from one end of the desk to the other, <laughs> and then I move it back, and that's a good day. Oh, so wow. that would be my standard answer. Do you want to be more directive in your question? Uh, well, the, I think that the younger professionals, as Drew was asking, mm -hmm. uh, they get into leadership roles, and they start off at one level and understand what they aspire to be. Right. Um, all of us could aspire to be uh, very much what you have in your current role, but what would be the steps that you would give as advice to say, hey, to get to that next level, what do right. I need to do? Well, you know, I think what I tell everybody, all my uh, stars and my rising stars, I say, look, you have to work hard, you have to have a work ethic, 
you have to know what you're trying to achieve. You set goals that are definable and achievable. And then you become as efficient as you can in structuring approaches to let that happen. People out in practice will often say, well, it's just not something I can do. And I disagree. I think if you're in a practice environment, you can look at how it works and say, what needs to be better? How can I improve the quality? How can I improve respect for all the employees? How can I look after patients better? How can I make sure that things don't get lost? So that's simple leadership. When I started, I think my first leadership role, I was, well, I mean, I've, I, I think people are natural leaders. So, for example, um, I was president of the medical student body at medical school. I was president of the residence association uh, when I was a resident. Um, I was president uh, of the medical staff at Roswell Park and on that track at USC before I left to move to the Cleveland Clinic. So, you know, I think people are natural leaders. You can learn the skills. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, if you want to be a leader just to be a leader, uh, that's a bad thing. I think uh, if, you, if you want to do something, uh, I remember one, one time I asked uh, a new president of a medical society to which I belong, this is great, why did you become president? And this person said, looked at me puzzled and said, well, to be the president. And my group, this person was a grand round speaker at the place I was working at the time, and so we all just nodded, and when this person left, notice I'm doing it in a gender-neutral fashion, uh -huh. uh, we all started to laugh, because to be the president of anything in order to be the president is a yeah. bad thing. Mm. And so what you want to do is have an aim that takes you somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, that is good for somebody. And so as long as you have an aim and you want to achieve something in a structured and a sensible fashion, that's a good thing. So what I say to people who are in an environment like ours, I think you uh, try to pay forward and pay back. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to be on committees where you get to know people, understand and understand how stuff works. You want to identify what isn't working that can be improved. Mm -hmm. Identify what is not working that really can't be improved so you don't waste your time right. tilting at windmills. Right. And then you think about creating the next generation of leaders by mentorship and by example and by engaging them. So one of the most fun things I do today, for example, is I'm one of the editorial board of a journal called Journal of Oncology Practice they have an international mentorship program that I volunteered for mm -hmm. where five young oncologists review a paper with me over a period of time and then we come online and it's really cool because a, a couple of them are local, there's a guy from Brazil, there's a guy from Moscow and there's a guy from somewhere else in Europe. And so we have to find a time when we can all talk. The poor Moscow guy loses out. It's normally <laughs> midnight plus for him, but right. he's very good and his English is great. And so we go through, you know, how do you review a paper? What's the point of it? What are you trying to draw out? And the way I think about it is that then pays forward because these guys will then teach their peers and so on. And You're so talking about improving health and hope across the globe, not just here. And I think right. Atrium Health does that. You know, if you think about Dave Ionetti, who's the chief of our hepatobiliary surgery team, he runs an international course for hepatobiliary fellows, and that now attracts the superstars from around the country who are about as good as his people, and they work together. 
if you think about Saad Usmani and uh, Pete Voorhees and our myeloma team, they're doing the same thing. People come from everywhere. Ifeosunquo uh, runs a sickle cell program mm -hmm. that uh, attracts the best and the brightest in the field, either as lecturers or as faculty, and they tend not to fly and give their talk and leave because the quality of the work at each of these symposia is so good that they stay on and then they pass the information along. So I think one of the cool things about Atrium Health is, and not so well known around uh, this part of the world, is the number of rock star people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Levine Kids and Levine Cancer are both pretty well known. If you think about our minimally invasive surgical group led mm -hmm. by Todd Hennifer, the hepatobiliary group, Rich White doing the breast surgical stuff, um, you know, the whole team that Brent Matthews has pulled together are amazing. If you think even about a small unit like Ginoc, just about every single person in the gynecologic oncology group, even Aaron uh, Crane, the youngest person, is nationally known for their work and are on committees and stuff. So I that's think, pretty cool. I think that's really interesting. I mean, you just, by going through that list, you've identified, uh, some of us perceive uh, Atrium Health and or CMC or Central Division as just a bunch of docs providing local care you don't necessarily recognize that we have national and international superstars here and they choose to come here and they excel here because of uh, leaders like you who help promote that and I think one of the comments you made earlier is is the aim of why you would want to be a leader not just so that you can be a leader but maybe get to the why you're doing it I mean I think we I think all... I keep hearing the why kind of uh, woven into the message here yeah yeah the why is about achieving and making things better, training other people, mm -hmm. creating the best pathway for getting things done. And of course, if you happen to be a strong leader, you will attract strong leaders to work with you. Right. And so, you know, we've recruited to LCI about 140, 150 people in the last eight years about 50, 60 from around this area and the rest from elsewhere. Sure. And we've been able to pick some absolutely fabulous leaders. So for instance, and it goes back to commenting about people in practice, one of my absolutely best operational leaders is Gene Chai, mm -hmm. who's a terrific physician. He ran a practice. It was quite clear when I uh, first arrived and was talking to him what extraordinary organizational and people skills he has. So he's now the director of medical operations for LCI mm -hmm. and, you know, is doing this sort of work uh, all over the place. He'll be one of the, I think he's the next in line to be president of the medical staff. That's right. And he's extraordinarily talented. And so part of the deal is you look for really good people, recognize them and let them get on with it and don't interfere. He did not need tuition from me. Right. I learned from him. And so that's also part of the deal. And there's a perfect example of someone who's just a regular doc working hard in practice who now has extraordinary influence over both Atrium Health and the Levine Cancer Institute. Absolutely. All right, let's, let's change it up a little bit. I mean, professionally, you've done a heck of a lot. You've mentored, you're continuing to mentor, you're bringing up s stars and superstars and encouraging all of us. Um, what was your best training for medicine that you've had? Well, obviously, a, a degree from the University of Sydney is, is helpful. The, the quality of medical care in Australia is high. They don't have a lot of resources. I mean, not like a third world nation, but nothing like the USA. But I think the thing that set me up the best was actually several years of driving a cab in Sydney. Uh, it was during the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, you, you saw both the kind of ugly side of life. You got to practice 
medical skills from time to time. Uh, the trick was to make friends, get tips, not get held up, <laughs> and identify someone who was going to be sick in the back of your cab. In which order, though? Well, <laughs> you could mix them. Much. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, those skills actually were important in terms of medicines about establishing relationships with people yeah. who are frightened and concerned That's and right. depressed quickly. And that teaches you how to do that pretty fast. So it was good training. So we were going to have a new sitcom, Riding in Taxis Riding with Riding in Taxis Derek. with Derek. <laughs> well, yes, but I do want to have karaoke built oh, into that good, so that I could be like that British guy who, oh, who yeah, does uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that. Uh, uh, cab that's right. karaoke or yep, whatever it's called. Exactly. That's and awesome. then I'll grow a beard like David Letterman, and I'll do this in retirement. Perfect. That's, we've got it set up. Look at the progression plan. If I can convince your family that uh, the bankroll uh, doesn't, doesn't stop, That's right? right? Precisely. <laughs> Very good. Um, what are some key achievements that you're really happy of in the last six months, let's say? Well, I think there are things that uh, LCI has done. You know, I think um, we've introduced a whole bunch of new treatments uh, into a range of malignancy with a focus on trying to bring the toxicity of treatment down and the efficacy of treatment up. Uh, we um, have just a little while ago done our 500th bone marrow transplant. Our data are superimposable on the data from the best centers in the world. Now that's partly because we attracted Ed Copeland here, who I would describe uh, as a physician's physician. I hope I don't get leukemia, but if I did, I, I would probably have Ed look after me. And actually, he's a mean guy as well. Once he said... <laughs> ah, all right, here we're getting to the meat of it. Uh, ...that he thought my biggest contribution to the world of hematology was that I stayed out of it. I mean, that's hurtful. Wow. Uh, wow, wow, wow. But no, that... Stay in your lane, that, bro. No, no, stay, stay in your lane. lane. That lets you know that we actually get on pretty of well. Course. He worked with me in Cleveland, and then he came down after I came here. So that's we've awesome. worked together a long time, and they... Uh, uh, Ed and, and Belinda Avalos, his uh, uh, vice chair, have recruited people from MD Anderson, from Hopkins, from Arizona, uh, 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 Arkansas, some of the best programs in the world. And so it's not surprising their results are terrific. So we've done new drug development. We've done some really good work in bone marrow transplant. Uh, the Levine team is the only, to my knowledge, plain tree certified organization for cancer in the world. And that focuses on the quality and the humanity of people care, and very heavily focused on that. Um, you know, I think uh, we've, we've done so many different things. We've put up two buildings that have been set up, much like Levine Children's, to be pleasant, easy places to be where patients are comfortable. We put in a frequent flyer lounge in our most recent building for the families of people who are spending too much time there. We put in a chapel just to give people some quiet time where they can kind of commune with themselves. So we've done new drug development. Uh, one of the things, one of my colleagues, Melissa Wheeler, who's a social worker, runs an absolutely extraordinary outreach program. Last year, Melissa and a team of, I think, seven uh, served 59,000 people in their outreach program. Wow. Uh, wow. And that included the development of cancer education and screening programs we've published on the education of Latinas in Spanish about breast cancer, and that's in the Health Education Journal. We created the first mobile whole body CAT scanning unit. We wanted to buy one and there weren't any, so we convinced Samsung with some funding from the Bristol-Myers 501c3 Foundation 
to build us a mobile CAT scanner. We've done more than 500 heavy smokers. And what's cool about that program is 25% of the people that we have served, these are heavy smokers, are African-American, so an underserved group that we're actually doing better than the uh, local population. 68% were rural poor, and all of them were uninsured or underinsured. So this is good work that's been done. We found a bunch of early lung cancers, and interestingly, also found other cancers, like one kidney cancer, a cancer of the throat region, which we've operated successfully with curative intent. And then we also found 18 people, and this is in our first 250 cases, with heart trouble that we've identified as calcification in their blood vessels. Hmm. And so we did the old atrium trick, picked up the phone uh, initially to Paul Colavita and now to Jeff Rose and said, can we double team on this? So we've referred the patients off to them. They've had appropriate care delivered. And of course, it's the right thing to do, yeah. but it's also financially sensible, because mm -hmm. as you know, Drew, managing someone early is much cheaper and much more effective than waiting until they have their heart attack or their advanced cancer or whatever. So that's worked out to be a pretty good program. Awesome. This ends part one of our conversation with Dr. Derek Ragaban. Join us next time as we continue the conversation to find out what keeps him up at night and what he's looking forward to in the next six months. Until next time, peace out.